So um, my middle daughter, Chandler, when she was about four or five years old, gave me the best compliment any dad can ever have. She said, Dad, when I get older, can I marry you? At the time, I said, sure, and then I broke it to her later that that's not how things work. But kids say some pretty cute things, right? Um, I found a, a list of a kids 10 years and younger on questions about marriage and parenting and so forth. And so little Alan, age 10, was asked the question, how do you decide whom you should marry? And he said, uh, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like, like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> right on. He's marriage material right there. Little Kristen, age 10, n- not you, Kristen, but little Kristen, she said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it, decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> what is the right age to get married? Little Camille, not Camille Sump, but another Camille, age 10, she said, 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. <laughs> And then little Freddie, age six, he said, no age is good to get married. Uh, you got to be a fool to get married. <laughs> uh, how can you tell, a, how can a stranger tell if two people are married, was asked a little Derek. Derek said, well, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. Uh, Little Lori was asked, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? And she said, both don't want any more kids. (laughs) And then uh, somebody asked little Craig, what would you do on a first date that was turning bad? He said, well, I'd run home, I'd play dead. The next day I would call all the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in all the dead columns. (laughs) Little Pam was asked, when is it okay to kiss someone? She said, when they're rich. (laughs) Little gold digger. She's only seven years old. So little Kurt was asked that same question. He says, the law says you have to be 18. So I wouldn't want to mess with that. (laughs) And then little Howard responded to that question. He said, the rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's the right thing to do. He's probably wearing a little bow tie somewhere in his hair, all perfect. Um, we're in a series called Kingdom Go, and we've been going through the book of Acts since uh, Easter. And we went through Luke, and we called it Kingdom Come, where Jesus ushered in his kingdom in his life, death, and resurrection. And then he instructed the disciples to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth and tell everybody the good news about what Jesus had done. And that's continuing on today. But as we've been looking through the book of Acts, we're seeing the power, the faith, somebody submitted to, to doing God's will and what God can do with a, a submitted heart. We've been seeing that through the Apostle Paul, his amazing transformation from being a guy who 
persecuted the church, killed Christians. He was a religious terrorist. And just like Jesus, just like the gospel, he says, religious terrorist guy, you're going to be my mouthpiece to tell people about my love and that I love them. So today we're going to talk about the ingredients of a godly legacy. And you know that the greatness, measuring a legacy or measuring the greatness of a life is never measured by its length. It's measured by its impact. That's really, you, people have lived short lives that have had an incredible impact. Um, how many know who Oswald Chambers is? My utmost for his highest. Great devotional, one of the all-time selling uh, pieces of Christian literature. He, uh, he was a Scottish pastor, and he only lived to be about 33 years old, something like that. And his wife, though, when he would preach, you know, this was pre-computers and all that, this was late 1800s, would meticulously write his sermons word for word. And then after he passed away, she took all of that she had written and turned it into this devotional. And so he never got to see his legacy. He never saw that it's still impacting people hundreds of years later and people are still growing. But his legacy way outlived him. Think about Jesus. He only lived 33 years, but he turned the world upside down. 33 years of life. So it's not the length of life. It is what we do with our lives is, is what matters. And, and that, that, that's what a legacy is. So we're in Acts 20. And before I get into it, in Acts chapter 19, we see the Apostle Paul going to this town called Ephesus, and he starts a church there, and he lives three years with the Ephesian people. We have our, in our New Testament the letter to the Ephesians. He stayed three years with them, and he discipled them, he loved them, and he is now moved on, and he knows he's got to go to Jerusalem, and he's probably going to face a trial and then death for preaching the gospel. <laughs> That's what was going on with him, a Roman in a religious trial. And he calls for the leaders of the Ephesian church to meet him. He wants to say goodbye to him. And so what I'm going to read in dialogue with is this conversation that they have with each other before Paul sets sail um, for Jerusalem. So I'm just, the example of the Apostle Paul's legacy is the ingredients of what a godly legacy truly looks like. And the first ingredient, if you're taking notes, is integrity. Integrity. The word integrity means true to the original. It, it literally means in the Greek without cracks, meaning if, if this was a clay pot back in the time of the Bible and I'm at the market and I want to make sure that it doesn't have cracks, I hold it up in the sunlight. And if I could see sun coming through, I knew it didn't have integrity. It lacked integrity. To have integrity is literally to be without cracks, to be true to the, the original. So it picks up, Luke writes, he says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. What caught my eye was, he said, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. That just 
shouts integrity. I walked true to my calling. I walked true to who I am in Christ, and I was true to you. Now, people can take a lot of things from us. They can take a lot of things, but what they can't take is our integrity. We give our integrity away. No one can take it from you. We choose to to give that away. Our reputation is who others think we are. Try being a pastor sometime. (laughs) Your reputation is what others think we are. Our integrity is who we really are. I'll tell you a little story. My integrity was tested a couple weeks back. It's tested every day, but particularly this story. And I'm not patting myself on the back for being great. Don't hear it. But I just want to give you a very personal, practical example. I, uh, many of you know I kind of like the sport of baseball, like just a little bit. So I, in my love language is hats and hoodies, right? <laughs> many of you have caught on to that, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Vesna. Um, but she doesn't know how to buy for me anymore since I lost weight, so she's done a good job downsizing on that before I digress. So I bought a Team Israel World Baseball Classic hat. I was online, and they had really cool little star of David with a baseball guy, and he's swinging the bat, and it's all... And I was like, I think I need that. And so I bought it, and it came, and I was all excited. I opened it up, and it was a defective hat. I looked at it, and the Star of David was all out of whack, and I'm like, what in the world? So I uh, wrote back to the people, and I said, listen, here's a picture of my hat. It's defective. Can I get a new one? And so I shipped it. She said, sure, and I shipped it back and got my new one. It's perfect. I love it. Fits perfect. Looks cool, and I can't wait to wear it in Israel next time we go. Have I told you we've been to Israel? We did. That hat somehow got in there. Um, But then about 10 days later, another hat showed up. And I was like, huh, I wonder why they shipped this to me. All of a sudden I'm thinking, I know people who would probably like this hat. I could always use two. One could be for the pool and one could be for... And then I was like, no, I can't do that. So I wrote wrote the person back and I said, hey, I think you accidentally shipped me a second hat. Uh, What do you want me to do? And I was kind of like, what do you want me to do? Just keep it, right? That's what you want me to do. Just keep it. I thought for sure that was the answer. Didn't get a response. Nothing but a shipping label emailed back to me. Dang it. Now I got to package this thing and take it to the post office. And I didn't even ask for the second one. And I don't even get to keep it. But the integrity was challenged there. I'm being serious. That sounds like a little small thing. But it's the little things in life that you walk in integrity with. Because it leads, if we lack integrity in the small things, it gets easier and easier to lack integrity. If you have integrity in the small things, it gets easier and easier on the big things. Second, in, in, well, actually, before I tell you this, this, the next point is there was a, a big church pastor recently who, um, he was having an affair, and he got fired for having this affair, and During COVID, he preached a message about integrity while he was having an affair. And I look with such compassion because, like, some you don't realize that you let your guard down, and next thing you know, he's his whole world was turned upside down. He was rock star kind of pastor situation and no accountability. And man, I don't I don't want that to happen to to myself or any of us, right? 
Second ingredient is steadfastness. Steadfastness. Steadfastness is being steady. It is being resolved. All our dads in here, being a dad is about showing up. That's that's half the battle. Any dad that's raised grown kids, it's showing up. Just be there. I don't mean just showing up for games. Showing up daily to be participating in raising your children. Living with convictions. Paul starts to talk to these leaders at Ephesus and he says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. You know what that tells me? Paul showed up. I did what God called me to do, people of Ephesus. That's for us. Show up. Be steady. Be be able to be counted on. That is the ingredients, one of the ingredients of a godly legacy. The third one is boldness. Boldness. We need boldness to be a good friend. We need boldness to be a good husband. We need boldness to be a good dad. Boldness to be a good wife, a good mom, employee. It takes boldness to do what's right. And boldness has this protective instinct. Uh, I walk a lot, and we live in Farvada, which is West Arvada, and... We have all these trails around our house, and I always see wildlife. Like, saw two deer the other day, and then the other day I was walking, and I saw this huge hawk, huge wingspan. And every time I see this hawk, there's always, like, he's hunting or something, he or she. And there's always these little birds that are, like, either underneath the flight of the hawk or above him. And on this particular day, I saw this hawk, and he was hauling, man. His wings were, he was trying to get away from something. And he had just left a tree. So I don't know if they like to eat the little birds or their eggs, one of the two. And, but he was hauling away from this tree, this tree. And I saw on his neck, this little teeny bird, man, about an eighth of the size of this hawk. And that little bird was pecking at his neck and he's trying to get away. And I thought, the courage, it was like watching Lord of the Rings, you know, like the little hobbit flying the big eagle. And it was like, and I was like, what boldness, what courage of this little bird to, you know, the protective instinct that comes with that. Um, About a month ago, I, I had an appointment and I pulled up to the place where I was at, the office, and I looked over to my right and there was another tree and there was these two magpies and then there was this big rabbit. And the rabbit was kind of like leaping at the magpies. And I thought, is the magpie trying to get cute little rabbit here? What's going on? And as I got a little closer, I realized there was a little baby rabbit that they were trying to get. Couldn't get mama rabbit. And mom was trying to keep the magpies away. And as I got closer, I saw the magpie go down and just try to nip at this little baby rabbit. And it went, I was like, oh, heck no, not on my watch. Are you going to eat this little baby rabbit? No way. And so I, thank you. It was very heroic of me. I, 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 but literally, I 
shooed the magpies away. They were ticked off, but they weren't. I said, bring it on, you know, and they didn't want no part of this. And so they left and the little mom rabbit and the little baby rabbit went around the corner into the grass and they were saved. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus came boldly to rescue us. He came boldly. The Son of God came into this world in His boldness to confront evil, to confront the fallen spiritual world, and to confront death, and to defeat death by His life, death, and resurrection. He did that for you and me. Boldness. Paul was a bold man. He says, he continues, he says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Boldness, before I continue reading, boldness is doing something that's risky. You don't know the outcome of what you're doing, but you do it anyway because you're walking in courageous boldness. He knew he was headed to Jerusalem and that nothing but difficulty was going to be there, maybe death. He says, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. William Wilberforce was a lawyer in England in, I believe, like the late 1700s, early 1800s. He spent his entire life trying to get slavery abolished in, in England. Courts, disappointments, back and forth. He persecuted, went through difficult, difficult time. Their movie is called Amazing Grace about his life, if you've never seen that great movie. But he spent his life on that. Boldness. Do you know that love requires boldness? It requires a boldness that we're going to be courageous with our lives. I've been thinking about this recently a lot. We're mortal. And what that means, that we're mere mortals, is that we're going to die. There's a reality that this body is going to stop working at some point in time. Mortals are afraid of most things. We're afraid of cancer, death. Even as Christians, we know death is just the doorway into heaven. We still, we've never done it, so it's kind of like, eh. You know, it's like uh, Woody Allen said. He said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Like, <laughs> that's kind of the way we, we look at it, right? Great philosopher, that guy. But we're afraid of these things because we're mortal, Immortals, they're not afraid of anything. An immortal is somebody who can't die. We call them superheroes or Avengers, except for Iron Man, he died. Did I spoil that for some of you? My bad if I did. If you haven't seen it by now, then you might need to speed it up a little. But immortals can't die. And I was thinking about Jesus. Jesus entered into our mortality when he became human, having the ability to die. So in his humanness, humanly speaking, 
knowing that he would become immortal through death. He knew, hey, kill this body and I'll raise it up in three days. Never to die again. Scripture says Jesus was raised to new life, never to die again. Death has zero hold on Jesus Christ. So for you and I to live boldly means death doesn't have any hold on you and I. We are going to be raised just like Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. And it's, it's that reality that death is just a doorway to what's to come. And that's why we can live boldly. And we, we read the scripture just a minute ago. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Boldness is an ingredient of a godly legacy. Next one, faithfulness. He says, now I know that none of... None of, you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. He's calling faithfulness out of these guys. Hey, I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful to do what God called me to do. I'm asking you to be faithful now. That's what we should be calling out of each other, faithfulness. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day with tears. He didn't hesitate to do what God called him to do. He just showed up. He was steadfast. He was faithful. He was full of faith and he was faithful. Because he was full of faith, he was able to be faithful. God hasn't asked any of us to be Paul. He hasn't asked you to be me. He doesn't want me to be you. He wants you to be you in the life that he's given you, the sphere of influence, whatever it is. He wants you in that sphere of influence to be faithful. Success to God is not what we think success is. We think success is accomplishments and accumulating things. Often we're brainwashed that that's what success is. Success to God is, did you do what I asked you to do? Were you faithful to the people I put in, into your life? That's, that's what he asks of us. That leads to a, a godly legacy. Be faithful. Don't worry. And then success comes. The next one is generosity. Generosity. And as I was working through this, each one of these ingredients is just a trait of God. God is steadfast. God is full of integrity. You know, God is faithful. All of these things are true of God. So it's a godly legacy because we're becoming like our God as we pursue these things in our life. And listen, I get it. We have all fallen short of this. I fall short. We all fall short. 
That's why we need Jesus. He's the perfect one, and he is perfecting us day by day, failure by failure, circumstance by circumstance. The perfect one is perfecting you and I. And in this life, we're never going to be perfect. But in the life to come, we won't even be able to sin. How many are looking forward to that day? (laughs) So he says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than receive. It's interesting to me, because that phrase is not recorded in the Gospels, but Paul knew that Jesus had said that. So it means there's probably plenty of things that Jesus said that aren't recorded in the, in the four Gospels. We're told that in the Gospel of John, even things that Jesus did. But some people call this the lost beatitude. Didn't that sound like Matthew 5, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. The, the, those are, we call those the Beatitudes. Well, this is the lost Beatitude, just like the Sermon on the Mount. You will be happy if you give rather than receive. You'll be more happy. You'll be more joyful. As I was thinking about this, we have a generous Father in heaven. He's so generous that He gave Jesus. He gave the, His own Son so that we might have life and have it eternal abundant life. He shared his creation with us. And then God the Son, Jesus, he shares all that he has with us. We have a generous Savior. You're a joint heir with the Son of God. He's our big brother. And he said, guess what? I'm not going to hoard all this. I'm going to share it with you. All the spiritual blessings in heaven, everything that's in Christ, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, has been given to us. We lack nothing. We don't need any, anything else spiritually. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness through His Son. We lack nothing. Therefore, we should share it abundantly. We should share it abundantly. The happiest people I know are generous people. The most joyful people that I know and interact with are people who are generous with their time, they're generous with their talents. They're gifting. They're, they're generous with their treasure. Generous people are happy people. Not hoarding, you know, for this life. You can't outgive God. That's what's amazing. God's abundant, right? Everything is His, and He just supplies and supplies and supplies. The more we give, the more He supplies. And it's, I'm not just talking money. I'm talking about our lives, our stuff. Being generous. Think about people who have been generous with their life, their stuff. They leave behind an amazing legacy. Which all those ingredients lead to my last point, and that's the word impact. Greatness, all of that is not the length of a life, but the impact of a life. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. 
What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Now think about that. They so loved Paul, they were weeping. Like, oh my gosh, this is the last time we're going to see you. And the impact that he had on spending time with them and discipling them. Think about the impact of Paul. I don't think Paul at the time knew that he was still going to be influencing people like you and me today. He just had his task to do to spread the good news to the ends of the earth, and he was faithful to it. And as we find out next week, I'll give you the end of the story, Paul goes to Rome, and he's beheaded as a martyr by uh, the Roman emperor for telling about this other king and this other kingdom. And he gets his head cut off, and he's martyred. He didn't know, but God knew. Being a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals over the years. And when, when I do a funeral, we're not only remembering and celebrating the person who's passed on, but I always know that people begin to think about their own funeral. You go to a funeral, you start thinking, huh, what are people going to say about me when they're remembering me? What will impact will I leave behind? We all want to leave behind an, an impactful life that meant something for someone. I know that. Someone recently was sharing with Janelle and I about losing their grandma and uh, the impact that grandma had on this person's life, the, the depth, the, the, the legacy, the hole, the void that's been left. When you hurt, it's because you loved when, and you lose somebody. Nobody's going to write books about this person's grandma. They're not going to make a movie about her. But that doesn't matter. She impacted her family. Dads, grandpas, you have an impact on your family. Moms, you have an impact on your family. Friends, you have an impact on your friends. Can never forget the, the value of those relationships. Showing up, being there for one another, caring for one another, walking through the crap of life together. So life hurts and we need each other and we can have that kind of impact. As I bring this to to a head here, I wonder of those different ingredients of a godly legacy where did you feel God's loving conviction because if you feel a little conviction a little guilt condemnation is from the evil one conviction is of God and it's always out of love because he wants to change us he wants us to be like his son so if you felt a twinge of, of conviction good thank God for it he has your attention and now it's an opportunity for him in his grace to help us change. Was it the integrity piece? Steadfastness? Was it boldness? Was it faithfulness? Generosity? Here's, here's what I would say to you. Is align your will to his will. 
It's the hardest thing for us to do sometimes. It's to align our will and say, Lord, I want to walk in your ways in every area of my life. You make that your prayer every morning. It's not about works. It's not about doing. It's about what he's already done for us and given to us, empowered us through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, to live a life of godliness and to leave that behind. It's not a life of perfection. None of us are perfect. We've made many mistakes, but he's perfect and he's perfecting us, his people. If you've never agreed with Jesus about who he is, this is what faith is. Jesus, I agree with you that you are the creator, sustainer of all things. You are my savior. You lived and died in in my place and you rose again. And I want to follow you as your disciple. I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to put, you want to put into practice what he says to do. That's what it means to be his disciple. Sometimes we put all these hoops in front of people of what it means to, to, to follow Jesus when it just, he's the leader. And you follow him and allow him to lead. So Father, thank you for your goodness. We want to be people who follow all these things that happen in the Apostle Paul's life and that you are true of you, Lord Jesus. Help us. Amen. Dads, grandpas, stepdads, would you stand? Dads, grandpas, stepdads. Everybody else, would you just kind of stick a hand towards these wonderful dudes? We got some good men in our church, really good men. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the dads at Novation. I thank you for the dads that are showing up and being there, being a a rock in their families. Lord, we know that we've made mistakes as dads. There's things we wish we would have done different. But because of your grace, because of your goodness, every day is a new day an opportunity for a true fresh start. So empower these men with your grace to have legacy impact on their families, the people around them, their friends. Bless and strengthen them and keep them. Lord, may they find their self-worth and self-esteem from you, God. May they find their strength from you, Holy Spirit. Father, as you have set the perfect example for all of us, may they live and breathe in the goodness of you, Father. You're a good God. Lord, those that are weary today, strengthen them. Give them them a courageous boldness to keep showing up and to, God, walk with you in the power that you give. God, those in this room that that are... hurting today because their fathers are not here. Thank you for the promise that you're the father to the fatherless. Father, we always have you. May healing be upon their hearts 
today. God, those that maybe Father's Day conjures up bad memories, may there be grace to forgive, to heal, to move forward in you and the power of the gospel. Bring freedom, Holy Spirit, where freedom needs to happen. In Jesus' name, amen.